This podcast was recorded on May 28th, 2020. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. This is Less Stupid with Thomas Huda, a show that's completely uncut, uncensored, and unsettled currently by some of the issues that have happened recently in the United States of America in 2020. I'm talking about racial justice, and I'm talking about the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by a member of the police department there. I'm talking about Ahmaud Arbery's killing in Georgia. I'm talking about the death of Breonna Taylor in her own home. And I'm talking about um, Christian Cooper having been totally falsely profiled by Amy Cooper in Central Park. It wouldn't feel proper to um, have this conversation now without acknowledging thoroughly um, the impact that that's having um, right right here in Eugene, but with our neighbors as well. Um, but I am here sitting down with Brooklyn Wetzel, who is hello, hello um, involved in self-directed education, which is a topic I'm excited to learn more about. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. Um, and I know that on the topic of racial justice, we are both going to be attending um, safely the um, Black Lives Matter protest event on Sunday. So I recommend um, that you guys check that out, um, that you all check that out. Uh, we're starting at the federal courthouse in Eugene, and then I think there's a march over to the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I start off the show with uh, asking my guest for a controversial opinion that they have, ah. but I want to thoroughly unpack um, these issues, um, because I just think it wouldn't be right to just kind of, kind of not do that. Um, and it is a controversial topic to think about, um, violence that's still occurring in 2020, um, against the African American community and the specifically the, the mechanisms of violence that, that occur there. Um, and I know that, you know, that, um, I try to have conversations uh, across the whole political spectrum and um, not not be divisive. And I have uh, people who listen and who watch this program who, um, you know, they stand with the blue and they believe in the thin blue line and they believe that police uh, are doing important and uh, unrecognized work in the community. Um, And so that's why I think it's important to, just like anything else, if it's in your family or your workplace, look inward and recognize when, you know, why is it that, you know, um, the FBI did an investigation, you know, a few years ago about, uh, and I know I'm rambling on, I'll get you a chance right. to talk. Go ahead. Um, but that, um, there, there is a strong element of white supremacy that's in police departments. Um, and, um, people need to be able to, to recognize why that is if we're going to dismantle it. That's true. And I'd really like, we need to make some stronger stances now. You know, I, when I was a kid, it was like the Rodney King riots in L.A. when I moved to Portland right. in 2000 or 2001. Hmm. Um, an unarmed black man was shot within 30 seconds of being, being pulled over on Interstate and Lombard. Mm-hmm. And then he was handcuffed to the to the steering wheel and mm-hmm. like left there for hours while his family just like wailed on the sidewalk. And I know that year was there was a second killing of a black person in Portland. So I feel like even though that this happened in Minneapolis, it's very relevant to Oregon and to things that, and to police violence, you know, here in Oregon and racism here in Oregon. So I'm excited to be there on Sunday and show solidarity with the black community. I'm excited for that also in a sobering kind of way. Yeah. Um, 
and getting even more locally um was it last year or two years ago i believe it was last year el Aborio rodriguez mm. here in northern eugene was um in a residential area and was going and collecting cans um and was uh, there was uh, just one of these situations where uh, an officer, um, I think his name was Samuel Teichel, um, had uh, approached him because he was not walking on the sidewalk, um, which... I'm sure I could walk off wherever I wanted. Right. <laughs> and you have a ton of relative privilege, of course. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and me being a half Japanese Asian person of color, I, I've experienced a ton of relative privilege, I would say, you know, compared to black and indigenous and Latinx people, Latinos mm-hmm. and Latinas. And um, it's that is a really harrowing uh, video if you if you see that, especially because what the uh, district attorney later said, Pat Patricia Perlow, was that um, they were engaged in good police work. And that um, there were no um, real consequences for that officer. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, I mean, watch the footage for yourself. You know, it's, it's, it'll do a lot better than my own characterization of it. Um, because, you know, here you had mentioned earlier before we started the recording this about um, cahoots. Mm-hmm. Um, what is cahoots for people who don't know? And it's, what um, kind of a buffer do they create? Yeah, if you, if there's a non-emergency but you need assistance like with an inebriated person or a person in a mental health crisis you call the police but you ask for cahoots and they send a social worker and an emt um, to help assess the situation and like provide services or transportation um, to help the person out and de-escalate whatever might be going on so it's a really great option i've used it a few times I feel like they probably yeah. need two or three more yeah. um, vehicles out there and they would probably keep, you know, we could keep them busy. <laughs> right. I mean, the police probably wouldn't mind either, you know, having right. um, having that buffer between them and the police come out when there really is a violent threat, mm. not just for, you know, a drunken rowdiness. Someone behaving erratically and they yeah. could be experiencing. Or something you're not really sure about, right? Right. When I talk to my kids about calling the police, it's like, you don't, if something looks off, that doesn't mean call the police, mm. right? And especially well, if it's a person of color. <laughs> sure, well, you're, you, you're bringing in a new, an element of danger um, that sure. you want to be very careful about. And, um, you know, I've had lots of, I still have friends whose parents are part of EPD, and I think that they would probably say that they feel that they experience stereotyping or um, assumptions um, and... Um, my point with that is that um, if that is the status quo and that is the case, and it's obviously, you know, hopefully understandable that people fear the police. I mean, <laughs> they fear um, the state doing things that are going to like either in the worst cases terminate, but ultimately like thoroughly impact the rest of their lives mm-hmm. um, that um, we can recognize that that can be the case and also recognize that if that's the case, um, Sometimes if someone's having a, a, if they're having a paranoid episode, for example, and I'll speak to the fact that I've had members of my direct family who have, who have been, um, sort of, um, intervened with by cahoots. And that was thankfully a better situation because if you're having those kinds of delusions and maybe you think that something, someone's after you introducing a bunch of armed police might not be the best situation, even if those people are well-trained to, um, to, uh, intervene in a way that that you know hopefully is um 
eliminates a threat mm-hmm. or reduces a threat, yeah. um, it can still, by the very nature of this um, society, the history that we're standing on, that we're not separate from, um, and that 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 can be a real um, have some terrible outcomes. Well, I'm kind of on the other. I mean, I'm not anti-police, but I'm an abolitionist. Mm. And as an abolitionist, I know that that doesn't mean that we're just instantly. I don't want to just like poof, the Mm. cops are gone and Mm. prisons don't exist. I don't I don't think that that's possible. Mm. But I do feel like we can work towards providing um, basic needs that will lower crime, Mm -hmm. um, like addressing our mental health um, crisis in this country. Right. You know, we don't have, uh, inpatient services. There aren't accessible, um, there isn't accessible help for people. And I think that that leads to violence and, right. um, pain and, and exacerbates this problem. Right. Absolutely. And, um, mental health, uh, it's like, we 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 kind of can pat ourselves on the back for the fact that our dialogue has become a little more um, robust about it and and a little less primitive and a little less shamey and stigmatizing. But that's just the first step. Yeah. We have to tangibly put resources behind you know getting mental health professionals, um, you know, uh, getting them paid more and getting more of them out there. And I don't making think them people realize that there aren't things available. You know, I had a yep. family member need they had a they had a teenage family member that needed mental health care emergency mental health care and they sat at a hospital in an er for like over a week and a half waiting for a bed wow yeah and there was no there's there's pretty and then the police because of the name that's they're not an er isn't set up to handle that Mm -hmm. so when things went badly they brought in the police Mm -hmm. inside of the er to handle the issues so and and it it was it was no good situation Mm. um and i'd really like to see that um, at the top of the agenda, you know, I don't, we put more money into the police, but I feel like that's, you know, that's just dealing with the consequences, not the roots of the problem. It's a very persistent response, um, to amplify funding for, um, police. And it's in part, you know, um, AOC, uh, you know, Congresswoman out of, uh, New York in the Bronx and Queens, she has spoke recently on a tweet that I really appreciated where she basically said a lot of the reasons why that occurs is because politicians, whether they have good intentions or, I mean, most people in Congress, I would say have good intentions and they Mm -hmm. want to represent their districts well, uh, and their States well in the Senate, but, uh, they fear the police unions and they fear the police foundations, federations, because those, uh, entities have such entrenched power, so much money, um, so much uh, community support as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, gosh, it's just part of why I believe in podcasting, you know, having a one-on-one conversation with you and other people is because, um, you know, maybe we can sort of break down the idea that I'm on a team and you're on a team and these teams are at war with each other, Mm -hmm. but instead listen to each other, hear one another out and hopefully change some hearts and minds a little bit. Um, Yeah. That's kind of what, lead led me to self-directed education so right that on. kids could start practicing exactly that like communicating with each other um working together making their own decisions um you know just giving them real life experience having that freedom um about like five years into like choosing that education for sure. my own children and like working in the field as a staff member at a democratic school and cool. like other, I 
homeschool co-ops and things around here mm-hmm. that I've been working on. But um, kind of the why I bring it up is that um, yeah. we don't adults. You, you go through you know twelve years of school, but you don't really leave. You know, very few people. I mean, maybe if you have like you go to debate or you focus in some specific way. But the goal mm-hmm. of school is not to teach you how to um, to interact and be in community. Mm. And um, that just isn't what it was set up to do. Mm. And the current goals of education are are more to hit Common Core standards and to hit certain right. curriculum and academic bash- benchmarks, um, not to lend better social skills or, mm. you know, ability to like critically think or problem solve in a group. So, and we put so much on teachers, uh, and we expect that those outcomes, um, of, you know, better, uh, engaging with our community are going to come out because a lot of us do experience that mm-hmm. from going through school. You know, I loved school and I went to teacher's college in Columbia university in New York to become a teacher. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I studied, I've studied education a lot, pretty basically my whole life. I never stopped being outside of schools for the most part. Yeah. For any prolonged duration anyway um and uh you know but it's totally true that the foundational models are really about um perpetuating what the uh social rules are and 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 um following those out and you know building those into kids from a young age socializing them into the that and um honestly i think most people can probably recognize all across wherever you sit on political or social issues like schools can squash creativity Hmm. (laughs) you know and they're failing in major ways in like Hmm. creating critically thinking people that can disseminate truth from not truth, um, you know, who understand, you know, basic concepts of science and, you know, I don't know, maybe morality. I don't know what school is supposed (laughs) to teach. (laughs) You're not, we're not coming out of it with like a, our population is, is really lost. America is really lost. And, um, you know, I do hold the education responsible for that because that's where the kids are coming out of. You know, we all are kind of born out of that system. Right. And um, it either gives us wings or cuts them off. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the school to prison pipeline. Of course. So that, you know, that's an aspect, you know, where education and, you know, violence against people of color collide. Right. Um, You know, there's mass I mean, there's tons of studies that show... Of course, you know, racial disparities and what kind of punishment students get for mm. behavioral infractions. Yes. Um, you know, frankly, the the white girl who's being a bully on the playground is going to get very different treatment <laughs> than the, the black male, you know. Mm. Um, and um, it's, it is troubling. Um, was, this is, uh, it didn't really, I follow the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint, which is an organization that... Um, you know, works against seclusion and restraint in schools. And just around the same time that this current last week, or maybe the week before, there's so much violence. I it's hard to remember, but mm. this one, this um, this youth in a youth like group home situation threw a sandwich okay. at someone and was restrained and strangled to death wow. in the restraint inside of a foster home. I think in Chicago, Illinois. Wow. Yeah, and it, it was of course a black kid. And I say of course because. Mm-hmm. That is the the level of violence perpetrated on people of color is always extreme. Um, mm. So, and I think that honestly, people of color um, are so often uh, told by broader society that it's all in your head. 
hmm. you know, that, uh, and, and so if we really want to have a paradigm in this country where there is like racial harmony, right? Hmm. We need to get rid of the problems that make it so that people have to feel on guard hmm. when they leave their homes, when they, uh, go to anywhere that they go where they know that they're going to experience targeting or that, that that's a real possibility for them. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to be able to let it better listen to those communities and, 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 um, hold accountable people who create systems where the, where that fear leads in so many cases to violence. I mean, I, uh, there's just so many, uh, so few people of color I know, and it's not that all people of color feel this way because they're not a monolith. Mm-hmm. And you could even interrogate the term people of color as something that does too much. Lo- like, Hey, we all have the same experience and I yeah. don't have the same experience yeah. as black and indigenous and Latinx and uh, Latino and Latina people, Chicanos. And so it's, um, it's something where if we really want to get there, I'm sorry, you don't just, you don't just say suck it up and you don't just say <laughs> we're over it and get over it, Yeah. but let's move through it. And it's going to take, it's going to take brave conversations and meaningful action. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast, Sean King does, uh, the, uh, it's called the breakdown and he's a racial justice advocate. And he said that, uh, he has a recent episode that's basically says that this is the, um, most underlooked at, uh, racial justice issue of our time. And it's budgets. Hmm. Budgets are a moral document. That's how Dr. King spoke of it. Um, and that, you know, uh, he was talking about Los Angeles mayor, Eric Garcetti, um, you know, so much of the, um, the city's general fund, more than half of the Los Angeles general fund, uh, was being put towards LAPD, which of course is particularly, um, troublesome and, and, um, has a stronger, has a strong history, a long history of having real issues in that, in that department. Um, yeah. So, that's what we're hopefully trying to do is um, build community support for just getting more engaged with, like, I try to get people engaged with school board meetings. Yeah. And, and, See, and that's so funny. Yeah. Um, so I, what I, we're, the, like, spectrum that I'm on, on, like, this whole other side of the mm. education spectrum where we kind of reject hierarchies and... <laughs> and testing and standards and we're like and we're just all of the kids are beautiful individual flowers that we're like just watering with encouragement to build confidence so that they can create their goals there's a really amazing um speaker akila richards um she speaks directly to um to the black community that's interested in self-directed education as a tool to end oppression from that that from their their perspective Mm -hmm. and um the tagline which i really like of hers is um you cannot raise free people using the tools of oppression Mm. right so when i say that i don't you know that i'm watering with encouragement doesn't mean i'm not offering curriculum or opportunity okay all of those things are definitely part of the plan but Mm -hmm. the goal is different so the the goal changes and, um, and then the methods change when the goal changes and the goal becomes an, an, a relationship building and, a, and an equalizing. And so in my mind, when if we raise children to in, as equals, mm. you know, and the whole idea that I mean, kids have a lot less freedom and rights than they did 100 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, compulsory institutional education is totally new. Mm-hmm. It's only about 100 years old, like in terms of 
for like you must yeah. send your kids to school or the cops are coming to your house. Oh right? yeah. Like so people that's in my fresh. generation need to know that it's very recent. Yeah. So, I mean, and in that way, I think they, when, when you tell people that they're like, Oh wait, yeah. Cause we've been around for like thousands of years and kids were learning. It just feels traditional. Like, Oh, kids go to prom and they go to homecoming yeah. and there's football and you know, like yeah. it, it feels like it's something that, I mean, honestly, the dominant culture <laughs> and media has like done a really good job of propping that up as like, mm -hmm. this is the standard. Yeah. Um, um, but you're totally right. I mean, before it was just, I mean, we have a, an agrarian history in this yeah. giantly vast United States that people, uh, I mean, a school system is built around the, the calendar of farming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, My grandfather, is. like, you know, everybody went away for World War II. And so he started, he was like nine years old. He started driving this dairy truck doing deliveries okay. to, to nine years old, driving the wow. dairy truck for like their farm. Because <laughs> like kids would used to do things right. like independently. And so part of the process over the last hundred years of schooling, our society has been to like remove kids' autonomy and confidence and abilities to right. be independent people. So kids don't, you won't see kids on the street playing no. even as much as when I was a kid. And you certainly won't see kids like you know even when i was a kid yeah it's moved that quickly and that recently not to discredit how much it moved before yeah yeah uh, i just that. don't know what it, i mean but you're just 10 years younger than me but i don't yeah, know yeah exactly um so yeah uh we had a little cul-de-sac and uh i called it lollipop lane because that seemed like the shape of a cul-de-sac kind of like a little end and then an end cap at the end yeah. um and yeah we would chalk it up in the streets and we would uh you know skateboard and bike around and make up rumors about the house where the witch and adults watching lived. you all the time no i know they yeah. weren't were they? exactly <laughs> they my were, point they were not and, people and we wonder. didn't have cell phones no. that that allowed them to literally like i mean frankly my one of my best friends has still to this maybe not to this day because he's like 25 now but it's like still his mom tracks where he's at yeah do you play video games i play a lot of well yeah mostly like nintendo and cartoony stuff okay well it doesn't <laughs> matter what way but i was just gonna say that you know now people don't understand how kids are playing video games if you consider that video games are a free place mm. they're one of the last like the digital space is of one of the last free places where kids can just be without adult interference wow. you know and when we're talking about sandbox games like minecraft or fortnite or something like that those are really free playgrounds right. when they you know i can't really make I can't even get my kids. I try. They have freedom. I can't get them to go take it. It's really <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Uh, uh, the helicopter parenting isn't something that our generation did on purpose. Right. You know, it, you're, are you a parent? No. We haven't gotten I, I that far in our conversation. Someday. I hope to be eventually, yeah. Well, you my don't realize that you just get kind people. of like. Sorry, my parents are great people. They didn't do a great job as parents at a certain mm. point. So I'm like really trying to focus and be like, I got to pick the right partner. We got to communicate well. We got to be able to <laughs> have all our financial ducks in a row as much as possible. Don't wait too long because like the financial thing might right. never happen and kids are <laughs> raised on love, not money. You don't think I'm going to become a multimillionaire off no, a podcast? I, I just stand by so kids cynical. are raised on love, not money. That's just like all I have to say about so it. So true. So true. Okay, my bad. No, I cut you off. Though. I was... Um, when you become a parent, you're kind of railroaded into like cultural stereotypes, whether you like it to or like to or not. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of pressure, um, you know, a lot of fear. Right. And CPS is and the police state overall is stronger than it's ever been. So there's a lot of fear right. to make sure you do it right. Otherwise, you know, you might not have the privilege of having a kid, you know. Right. So I don't know where I was going with that. No, it's good. Um, um, well, I mean. I want to set up for people uh, the context of where we're at here. We are at Lincoln School here in 
kind of what I would call Midtown Eugene. Um, and so we thought it would be an interesting a backdrop to be able to show that, you know, unfortunately our children are not able to, um, you know, play here on this playground during this, this pandemic, um, which pandemic could have gone a lot better if not for um, really terrible federal leadership on some fronts. But we're not here to protest <laughs> that. No. We're not Karens. Um, it is weird that every that we're open, but playgrounds aren't open. So, like, mm. it was interesting that you could be in an enclosed space and buy things, mm. but we couldn't be, like, outside and play on a playground. But well, we can be concerned a about authority. a lot of different issues at the same time, and we don't have to be, like, <laughs> you know, uh, reopen activists in order to be like, yeah, sometimes the state uh, mishandles uh, these kinds of things. Sometimes, uh, you know, the CDC recently kind of... Um, did another study uh, saying that um, this virus is not particularly, um, it doesn't transmit well through just like mutually touched objects, Ah, you know? So, you know, uh, exactly. But the, so for people who are only listening, thank you for, um, listening for about 25 minutes through somewhat muffled audio, um, because we are taking out every precaution. We've sanitized the microphones and we're talking through masks. Um, and so it does kind of remind me uh, to think that we have a real privilege as we talked about of being able to get this message out and have a space to put it on the internet and have listeners and only be a little muffled right now yeah. when there are voices where we can hopefully try to recognize are much more stifled um but i want to i want to unpack more of this self-directed education stuff because hey, ask some questions okay yeah because okay from from my perspective not knowing much about it um it sounds like it's a bunch of hippie crap <laughs> <laughs> and so how do you work against that i guess um, perception and also um I don't know that you're trying to evangelize or get it out there and get more people into it, but mm-hmm. maybe you are. Yeah. And um, so how does a parent get to the point of um, deciding that this might be the right thing for their kids? Hmm. Well, I think most... I came to it because I couldn't get my kid... Hat was sad, crying, not wanting to go to school. Mm. And then I looked back at my own life, and I had actually left high school... And I was a really self-directed person and got a lot of stuff accomplished, like, despite of school. Mm. But it, it wasn't really providing me with what I wanted. I, was, I wanted to be a lot more engaged in the world than school really allowed me to be. Mm. And so I made a plan to graduate early and then ended up just leaving school at the end of my junior year and got my GED. And so since then, I've, like, gone to college and you know, continued on my life. So I know many dropouts from high school that have completely fine lives, but they won't tell you that (laughs) when you do it, if you do do it. Yeah. Um, So I think that a lot of people come to it because their kids are incredibly unhappy. Okay. And then they maybe look deeper into why they're unhappy or they have like a neurodiverse child and they're trying to struggle to fit that kid into a system that won't fit and trying to make an IEP or some specific way to accommodate in a system that really can't accommodate their kid. Um, And there's a lot of resources because this form of schooling has been around for a hundred years. Like the oldest school has been around for a hundred years and which I thought was impressive. So there's like, you know, many, many graduates of this form of education. You can see that they're, you know, normal, successful people are doing various things like people do. Um, that was, that's Summerhill, which is in England. Okay, I've heard of so it. So that's a boarding school, right? And then mm-hmm. they, 
about 40 years, Summerhill was founded here in the U.S. And so those are both democratic schools. I've all, there's different models of self-directed education. Mm-hmm. So I was working at a Sudbury model school in Montana and all of the decisions about the school are decided by the students, by the student meeting, including like hiring staff. Wow. And how they spend You're the money. No shit. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's really, really amazing to watch kids come into the power of knowing that they, that of having that power and then take, and, and if you give kids freedom, so funny, they're responsible with it, but you would never (laughs) know that if you don't try. It is so funny because even me having such a, an amazed reaction to that it makes me want to interrogate why do i feel like that's radical <laughs> why, why is it that i am more okay with the status quo school districts and the all the vetting and that kind of process for putting someone in front of my kids for what whatever it is six hours a day uh-huh. um than i am with the fucking kids being able to have a say and say you know what we've got some great lessons with miss sherman and we let's let's have miss sherman you know teach us and it's a real election process right right um you know i was a staff member they kind of like a volunteer staff member for two years and at the end of the second year i like i applied to be a paid staff member and tried out Mm. so i did a week and I already knew the kids okay. and I had already kind of been doing the position. So this is almost a really, it's a really tragic story actually, uh. but it proves like the beauty of it. Um, uh-huh. so I, I did my f- week and I took the last, like the last week I was trying to be really fair. I should have been like really campaigning, <laughs> but I, I didn't want to like manipulate these kids. Right. Right. So I tried to be really fair and the other two, ki- the other two candidates had a, a week trial as well mm. and then they did ranked choice voting so the kids got to vote like for everybody or anybody that they wanted or everyone wow and i think i lost by like two votes oh and it was it was really it was super sad it's almost like losing a job that i really loved and then also not getting one i really wanted mm. um but you know that's democracy that's how it works and it, my kids got and leaving that school they have so much confidence in you know in themselves in what you know, in their own autonomy and speaking up for themselves. And I started to realize that if... How powerful is that? That's awesome. Yeah. And I started to realize that if you break down these hierarchies between adults and kids and equalize it Mm. in a real way, like I'm saying, giving them choices, making them equals to us, which I know it's it's radical, (laughs) but you're also keeping them safe. Wow. You know, how many adults manipulate um, you know, take advantage of that hierarchy. And I don't think that we can protect kids by, you know, dealing, dealing with that one thing at a time. If we just flattened it, Mm. then kids wouldn't be thinking like, Oh, if I speak up against this person abusing me, I'm going to get in trouble. Right. Like, yeah, I think that we might be able to really like save some kids from some, from bad adults. I'm reminded of situations. You basically said, are you a police abolitionist or a prison abolitionist or both? I don't, I don't know. Do they, I think they're the same. I don't know. I haven't thought about whether they're different. Usually I I think about it as prison abolition. I need to be able, I need to look into those issues and study the articles and study the the research about those more to, to develop my own position on it. But my point that I often, um, want to echo because I think this is a strong point is um, people are so bought into the idea that these institutions are good because that's what they've seen. And it's like, well, that's the way of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But we should be able to ask if we want to build a better world, 
are these working? Like, is it working and is it working for whom? Mm-hmm. Um, my first guest, uh, Ty Williams on episode 151 says that we, anytime we move forward in the world, we got to ask for whom is this working? Um, and so, um, when I think about self-directed education, um, and, you know, you're talking about these people who can so, so often manipulate the power dynamic. Um, yeah, the status quo is not that things are working well. A lot of us know people who have abused their power in schools. I was taught by some of those people. I was coached by some of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, eighth grade, we had a long-term substitute who um, got a lot of notoriety because she was having sex with my 14-year-old peer. Um, and I also uh-huh. had... Um, some baseball coaches who were twins who um, uh, were hoarding uh, child pornography on a laptop. And they were one of them. The person who was doing that was a middle school teacher as well. Um, So, so don't start from the idea that um, we're about to knock down something that's all pristine and perfect. Start from the idea that all problems need to be solved. um, And we're for evolving in a world where we have better ability to communicate with one another and, um, work out what we what we want to see um then we can we can do better so here's a question for you unless you no i want to hear your question um a lot of the biggest firmest strongest advocates against the status quo in education in my view are um conservative or right-leaning people who they don't like common core uh that's a big thing that they don't like and they don't like um they want more localization. Hmm. Um, many, many people, I mean, Betsy DeVos, who I agree with on very little, is someone who wants to see more public money be able to go into parochial schools, for example. Um, but in so many of these cases, there's a distrust of government-run education. Um, do you see with self-directed education... Um, I mean, I, I would say that you're more a liberal person than a conservative person yourself. Yeah. But do you see opportunities for, um, like, bringing in, a, you know, a, a political diversity of I people do. and perspectives? Um, I do. There, I've met um, the one of the most prolific authors on the um, roots of institutional school, John Taylor Gatto. He's really popular um, in libertarian... Um, kind of like, whatever. Sure. I don't know how to describe it, but kind of like in a libertarian right sure. political stance. And um, I think that I find a lot of commonality because we, you know, people understand and read some of his work where he goes back and finds some of the institutional documents, you mm. know, written by the people who set out to create institutional school as we see it today and um, gets out those documents and shows them to to us. And says, is this what you want education to be about? Mm. And everyone's like, eh, no. And you can be on the right or the left and see that. And, that, you know, I, I feel like the facts really speak for themselves when it comes to institutional education. And people who are ready for change on the right and the left can see that. Um, I've seen there are um, certainly there's different models. Like I said, there's different models of self-directed education. And some of them would be more amenable to um, political diversity than others. Mm. Um, I have seen even uh, some self-directed models, a faith-based self-directed model. Sure. You know, where the the, the quality of the education and the model, you know, is all self-directed and on the kids. But the where the where the parents were coming from was from a faith center, you know, which I totally respect. I don't have any judgments about how people choose to educate their children. I like, I mm. want to have the freedom to educate my children, raise my children how I want. 
And in order to get that freedom, I have to give it to others. So I, I have no judgments about how people raising their children in like a Catholic school mm. or a real fundamentalist control. Mm. I mean, that, that's your choice. And eventually right. your kid will leave and might learn about some stuff you didn't want them to learn about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it is weird that um, we are so... Maybe a lot of us are a little uncritical about the fact... I mean, probably until you have a kid yourself, you're uncritical about the fact that, like, the government has such a role in deciding the decisions about how you raise your kid hmm. and, and about uh, what It's kind of shocking when it, when, you, when it happens. I believe you, you it. Wouldn't. <laughs> you're like, whoa! I believe it. <laughs> I believe it's it. It's pretty crazy. In your own... Um, personal journey what led you to um, bringing your kids through that I mean it, you actually mentioned that they were unhappy in schools yeah. as well and um, then I but, and then I connected it like mm -hmm. I had read John Taylor got to like it as I in high school and that oh, had cool. gotten me out of high school but much like you or maybe not if you're thinking about kids but when you leave school and you don't have kids you don't think about kids anymore you're like done with childhood right. you're not even concerned like most of the you know single adults without kids that I know don't really care or want anything to do with child caring child rearing mm. right so it becomes kind of this exclusive club of parents it and educators and messy. <laughs> to me, like especially young kids i just oh i just so don't they're kind of warehoused right and right. i think that um there's this concept that we, ha you know, we have to keep the elderly and the youth away yeah. from us producing middle-aged people because we're important for, you know, the capitalist establishment. Mm. So we were good for the economy, but having a bunch of like kids and elderly people in our way all the time, that'd be like no good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're having a, a pretty great, uh, somewhat abstract conversation about this, and um, it's good that we're here. This is, is this a self-directed school here? No, this is used to be a school, and now it's luxury condominiums. Oh, okay. So, wow, fascinating. And, par and a park with a garden. Sounds pretty much like the way Eugene has gone <laughs> in, the, in the last 10 to 20 years, and it's sad how I've been a lifelong Eugenian and seen how certain interests have been catered to um, at the expense of people who have lived here and fought for the values that we have here in Eugene. Um, but so, like, you know, I'm trying to make this from something that sounds like a cool and maybe idealistic view in people's heads into something where they can really see mm -hmm. what it is and what, what so what... What is, uh, like, so what are the schools that are around here, for one thing? Um, are they from all ages, like, pre-K to 12? Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, just to yeah, talk more about them. Yeah, most of these schools are the full range. Like, so the one that I worked at was for kindergarten to 12, all mixed ages. And mixed aging is kind of a key ingredient to self-directed education mm. because you get, then people can move where they're comfortable in terms of curriculum. And then okay. they also, there's this amazing learning that happens from being, from kids looking to older kids, not to adults, right? You're going to, so that, that's... Not to really, cut you off, we were so segregated at Kelly Middle School mm -hmm. when I was there. Oh, yeah, there you're even like against the grade right above you yep. and against the grade below you. Oh, yeah, you. the yeah. sixth graders were not allowed to go into the seventh and eighth grade section yeah. of the school. And it's the and only it time in your life. bullying is what their, their um, MO was about it, but mm -hmm. you're totally... So since you're kind of new to self-directed education, that's a really... Kind of new, I'm very new, Let's So that's go. like a really key question to ask yourself is why is it reasonable to segregate ages in school the way that it is, even though there's no other time in your life that you will do that. And it's yeah. not really, it doesn't really fit developmentally either, right? Because all seven-year-olds are not like 
growing exactly the same and have the same brain and all look like perfect little seven-year-olds, right? And then if you even like skip a grade or especially if you're held back, I think there's stigma. Yeah. You know, in general, in gen, gen pop education, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So, um, there was a school here in Eugene for, I'm not sure how long it was open. I knew about it before I moved here. Eugene Sutterberry School. Okay. So, and then that had re- tried to become a charter school in Crow. And Better than luxury condos. That failed. <laughs> um, and then there's another model of the agile learning model that I did a training for last summer. And then we were kind of trying that out at the Cascadia Learning Cooperative last fall. Um, coronavirus has closed the cooperative since then. So I'm working on a project I, is that is not involved with having a building where I just take out groups of kids to explore the community freely. And I help them navigate like the decisions they make and interpersonal conflict. And I just kind of serve as like a happy little safety guide as they go on their adventures. Probably adventures that me and you would have done alone, but kids aren't allowed to be alone in public anymore. So I help provide a free experience for kids that might not get it otherwise. So that's where I'm at so far. I'm working with other people to start maybe getting something going in the fall. It's hard to know whether to work towards getting kids together or to table it. Right on. It's really confusing time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a question and I have my own feelings about the question I'm about to ask you, but I still think it's worth asking as a jump off for conversation. These kids, um, when they go into like college and Mm -hmm. they go into, let's say like something that's big, uh, like the University of Oregon um, and have to navigate uh, the registrar and navigate just like everything that comes with a really normative education after that. Yeah. Yeah. are their experiences sometimes negative? Are their experiences, do you think they're more well-equipped for higher ed? Um, and I, why? I think that they're more well-equipped for higher ed because they're more, because being self-directed gives you the skills to accomplish the things that higher education demands of you. Right. And, you know, you're not going to be looking for other people to give your, to figure out where you're going to go. And higher education, if you're not going to waste, you might just waste your money if you don't really know who you are. Happens all the time. And that's another reason that I'm a big proponent of self-directed education because we have 12 years with these kids and it's just a tragedy that we graduate kids without giving them any time to develop their person, their inter, like who they are and what they want to do and give to the world. Yeah. So, you know, even though I don't expect everybody to go full on into self-directed education, you know, we can all, everybody could probably make steps to give their kids more freedom to allow them to explore who they really are, you know, outside of who they are going to be as far as an employee or, you know, some cog in the workplace, right? Right. Some real passion right. that they have. What are the funding mechanisms? Um, do they, do these schools and these programs get, um, state funding or, uh, how do Most they... of them are private schools yeah, okay. in Montana. We were, uh, how do they acts- stay cost, uh, how do they stay, um, f- affordable? Well, they have lots of scholarships and it costs like half as much as educating a public school kid. Mm. You know, it costs about like 10, usually I've looked it up. It's usually like 10, 15, 20 grand per pupil in a public system and little micro schools can do it for about five grand. Um, in Montana, we had access to like a Republican funded, um, for, like school choice scholarship mm. fund, you know, that my son, um, received and the school ended up receiving six 
of those scholarships, you know, okay. so I'm actually really, you know, I feel this weird camaraderie with Betsy DeVoe or okay. the, with the right, sure, because school, they yeah, provided opportunity to my family because they're the only people that will give me that freedom, right? Mm. I actually don't find a lot of um, solidarity always on the liberal left side when mm. it comes to these subjects, especially when it comes to um, providing kind of like what people think is an exclusive or education or something really out of the binary, right? Sure. Like that is something that's really difficult for people to accept that poor people should have access to that. I right. don't know. It just seems like people want poor people in public school. And then you're like, but I want to send them in private school. They're like, no, no, we can't give them money for that. I'm like, wait, mm. <laughs> that isn't, I, I, so I'm not against giving public money to private schools. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm so, so glad to have that. Um, cause I think it's so easy to just paint you as like this floaty far left like idealist <laughs> like you know flower, well, I am, that's and... my imagination i live here in reality <laughs> <laughs> well in terms of living in reality um one thing that i thought about as a teacher was that um and this is a quote i heard from somewhere you know you pick these quotes up and you never remember where they're from students don't remember um lessons they remember moments ah. And um, because you are in education, um, I want to ask you more personally, because we've covered, covered this topic quite a bit of the self-directed education. But I want to ask, like, on a, I want to get to know you as a person, as a spiritual being, because <laughs> um, I think we're all spiritual beings. And, um, like, what, are, what do you remember from when you were a youth being educated? What, are you, what moments do you remember um, that were significant to you? Well... This is it's interesting. It kind of come. It'll come back around to the issues of today. Mm -hmm. um, part of my childhood, I w lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, like kind of you know in the the ghetto area of New Mexico in okay. a predominantly black school. So I was one of like two white kids in my school in my class. Hmm. And what I got from that experience was, you know, a lot of empathy for that community and also a real visceral feeling of how segregated America is because even Deeply. though I was like not a racist person but I was a white kid okay. in a black school and no black kids didn't want to talk to me and I didn't really know how to talk to black kids and you know I just ended up connecting with the only other white kid in my class I mean I'm a kid I'm just this is me just looking back at my childhood mm. thinking why was it like that Mm. You know, because that wasn't a choice I made. That was just kind of what happened. You know, right. I'm only like 13 years old, right? Right. So, um, so that sticks out to me a lot in education in that time, and that I was, and I always wanted to know more than what they were wanted me to know. Mm -hmm. They would be like, do a book report, and I would go and like do it on two different things that were all both really terrible, like. AIDS and child abuse, okay. you know, and I just like dive all deep into that and then get like freaked out because I learned too much. Sometimes those stigmatized topics can be the most exciting yeah. to dive into. Yeah. So. Inspire the most genuine would, curiosity because they're, they're taboo on the large front. And then as soon as I got to high school, I started getting really bored and with the classes that I was taking and I would like skip school to go sit in the library and read what I wanted to read. Mm. Or there's a really amazing film festival in the town I grew up in. So I would like skip school to go to the film festival. Um, That's cool. So I just, it, as soon as I became a teenager, what I wanted to do and learn became much more important to me than what the school was saying that was important. Mm. You know, and I think a lot of people... Um, feel that way 
bug on me. This bug is has Hi. strong views about what's important in education. He's <laughs> trying to disrupt you from yeah. exposing self-directed uh, modes yeah. of thinking. Well, I used to skip class sometimes and just walk around and talk to people in the hallways because hmm. <laughs> just the idea of, um, and I, I was, uh, I had a really challenging senior year of high school. And um, I mean, one of my criticisms that I come away with is that, so I, I know this is like kind of a rare experience and I'm not just like trying to speak to like the, Maybe I was in like the one or two percent in a way of, of educational privilege and uh, how stu- teachers looked at me and like, oh, it's easy to point to that kid and say, Thomas is smart. And like, I'm going to ask a tough question and everyone sits around and not uh, doesn't want to contribute and I'll make Thomas do it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but um, I was entrusted a lot, um, but I also took on a lot of the um, expectation to uh, be excellent. And that kind of tends to cross apply into like a lot of different things and then I have a lot of expectations on me and so it just ended up being a lot of pressure to um I mean you know when I uh came home with an A minus my mom ripped into me it's a very Japanese mom thing to do frankly uh-huh. uh and um so I mean that led to me like once I was 17 I was just like what's the fucking point yeah you know and like uh I was got, I got behind in calculus because calculus is hard and I was a shithead at times and I didn't want to study mm-hmm. um uh because frankly, I'd never had to study for until I was like 15. I'd never had to study. I, yeah. I just, uh, I did my own thing and I learned enough from my own life and Wikipedia and uh, the internet. And like, isn't just... that weird that you get like labeled smart? I mm. looked at my mom saved a ridiculous amount. Oh, I'm amount a dumbass. Of, of paper, that show's though. called Less Stupid because I'm an idiot. Like, <laughs> I'm like so my trying mom to be less stupid by talking pa- with people. My mom saved all this paperwork and in second grade I have like a report card and it says college bound. Okay. And I, in wow. jo- John Taylor Gatto talks about like one of the mechanisms of school is like ranking and filing and putting people in their place, right? Like yep. labeling you for early so that you'll know exactly where you fit in society. And if you fail, you will fail, right? Was this when you were in New Mexico and you were a No, that was in Montana. Okay. I moved back and forth. Okay, got it, got it. But um, my mom was in college at the time, so maybe that was why they said that. And I had a really high vocabulary for mm. my age, even though I was mm. really bad at spelling. Um, spelling but, is not very attached to other forms of intelligence. <laughs> it really, there's a lot of studies that show, yeah. you know. A lot of studies about um, childhood development don't really aren't really in alignment with what with how we raise children mm-hmm. or what's going on for eight hours of the day and five days a week at the school. So what was I saying right before that? Um, you were labeled college bound. Yes, yes. So I'm labeled college bound. Right. They're telling me there's another second grader out there that's labeled not that's college bound. That's the very bound. first thing I think of in that situation. Uh, and that is just heartbreaking. That's such a sad and and truthful. Like honestly, let's be real. People get written off at that young age mm-hmm. all the time, and it's based on a whole bunch of factors that they have no control over. Yeah. Um, and it's hurtful. It's really hurtful. Um, one of the books I read in educational studies was Keeping Track by Jeannie Oakes. And tracking is like one of the number one ways that inequality becomes embedded in our school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to North Eugene High School and um, we had, um, I mean, some pretty woke educators who tried to push back against this notion, but we were a highly tracked 
sort of program of, of, of school. And we were split into three different small schools, had their benefits and had their drawbacks for sure. Um, and um, really, if people don't know, it's basically just like when uh, at an early age and in various scenarios, you, you put people into like the general math and then like this person's like put the, in the, them in the advanced math. And it, it can be it becomes really hard to transcend those um those like casts practically yeah um but the schools like to do a really good job of highlighting like the one or two people it's like oh turnaround student of the year yeah you know this and there person. could be weird mistakes like i i don't play an instrument because i mm. lived i moved the year that they introduced instruments mm. and then i moved back and it was like i had missed the introductory year so you have to be in choir because uh. i couldn't go because the way the scheduling is you know you just you have to learn intro in fifth grade and if you're not there intro fifth grade then you sing instead of play an instrument right this seems unfair i don't think i'll ever forgive him i'm glad well let's talk about creativity because i mentioned that schools often squash creativity Mm -hmm. um but in uh your experiences with self-directed ed uh, have there been more opportunities for kids to get involved especially because i i worry about also even like okay if everybody is expected to do a music thing then that that can be good for the kids who like music mm-hmm. but it can be um extra challenging for kids who aren't into that yeah. so um talk about the creative opportunities uh in it's are really they there well my my um my child, Rowan, is a really talented graphic artist. Nice. And part of them becoming um, so talented is having kind of a ridiculous amount of time to explore it. Um, cool. And to be able, and without instruction, you know, just to kind of explore what they wanted to draw and then try again and then try again. And after being in a self-directed school and just seeing kids explore and create without being told what to do and then i would go into an elementary school because i'll end up there for some reason Mm. and then it will be like 20 paintings and it's all the same painting Mm -hmm. and that's the art class and and i and i'm beginning to question whether or not that's an art class or if, like, <laughs> right or are we just I mean, the printing press the, techniques, the old school printing I mean, press yeah. wow. creativity is so much more than following instructions and you know school we've, we're starting to schoolify everything so no one ever thinks they can just like randomly create they want it to look perfect you know we have people pay to drink wine and get told how to like paint things mm. you know those paint by the number right adult evenings um you know, I feel like that that's a result of people just not feeling comfortable being creative without being judged. Very right? true. And so that they have to, you know, make sure that what they make is going to look good and take a special instruction so that they don't end up with, you know, something they're not proud of. Yeah. But creativity is about making some stuff that doesn't always look good. You know, everything totally. I, the art I did yesterday, it's always crap. Right. You know, the art I do today is the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny and true. Um, well, I love music deeply and a lot of my um, close friends are musicians. And um, I just want to speak briefly about, um, you know, OK, the 90s were a really great era for music, in my opinion. And I love a lot of rock music in particular and hip hop that came out of the 90s. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's happening now in the last five years or so that I think is really cool is so just on a broad um, historical kind of sociological way that music is a conversation with people about issues. Um, the 90s was like, I mean, Kurt Cobain is a Pacific Northwest icon and it's because um, 
there were proto grunge artists who he like idolized, like Melvins and Pixies. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, just throwing away these conventions that were defining popular mainstream '80s rock, which was super glam, super um, technical ability, like shredding solos, mm-hmm. um, and in many ways, like carrying out. When I hear you say "paint by the numbers," like that's like the ultimate, like you know, there's 900 numbers on this little page, and like that's kind of what it's it's like is that kind of music. Mm-hmm. And then Kurt was like, "I'm gonna make the most effective song possible with three chords and i'm gonna scream it and we're gonna make it sound crunchy and disgusting um (laughs) and that's happening in hip-hop nowadays is actually a lot of people who are into music um are characterizing this sort of soundcloud rap which is a great liberated form of people being able to put out anything no matter what you know the quality of it is yeah um is um they're able to um totally deconstruct that super opulence that was true of like the especially the 2000s um, bling era and early 2010s um, Jay-Z Kanye West that kind of music and so it's been really cool and I know that this is like a a little bit out of left field but it's a podcast we go wherever we go (laughs) Um, and I've loved to see exactly that that some things that are really aesthetically beautiful to people are um maybe rebellious like it's not what their parents think sounds like good music mm-hmm. um but also it's just uh it's it's special and it hits your ear differently because yeah. you um are you expect it to sound a certain way and it goes in a different direction and that's art yeah yeah um what are some of your favorite musical artists i always i always ask people about ah. music on the show well i, I know that you are into hip-hop so i'm like oh my favorite hip-hop is like dead prez sweet riley the coup nice I listened to a lot of the coup in my house um, doyle canning brought them up when i had her on oh really yes oh, cool absolutely I, you know boots took time out of his life during Occupy Wall Street to yeah. um, like video conference with my group in Missoula, Montana. No way. And talk to us about like what was going on in our activism at that moment. Sweet. A lot of respect for him. Right on. Um, let's see. I'm really into electronic music. That was cool. kind of like when I moved to, I'm really into dancing to electronic music. I'm, when I moved to Oregon, I was involved in Portland's electronic music scene. Nice. So when I go out to music, that's what I go to hear. I go to hear DJs and to trance dance. So that's kind of like, you see me getting down like that. That's fucking great. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, And and, uh, in many ways in Eugene, you know, I go to the Whitaker Block Party and that's where it's most popping among the youth Mm -hmm. is they really like EDM and they they like all sorts of electronic music. Um, I liked it before it was called EDM. Right, there you go. <laughs> well, there was a term before called IDM. That oh, was yeah. Fraught. Yeah, that's just a different genre, right? Right, intelligent dance or intellectual dance music. Yeah, which is but so it probably bullshit. has some specific sounds yep. at the time. Yep. Yeah. I remember um, sitting at a festival and my friend, there was like three different stages and I couldn't tell the difference between the different types of electronic at that mm. moment. And he was like pointing at one and telling me, that's drum and bass. Listen. Right. Now listen to that one. That's how. Right. Listen. Right. And then, like, you know, you have to learn. Right. I mean, it's almost like classical music in terms of the complexity. Trance. I like trip hop a lot. Mm, me too. Um, so, gosh, what's the. There's a. Oh, Paramatma is an album I really like by Monopoly, M O N O slash P O L Y. So that's really good. Um, but I think um, one of the things. If, if I was to point at, like, in a mainstream sense, where electronic music broke out the most, it was, like, Skrillex, I would say. When I was ah, in 10th grade. Not 
Yeah, with dubstep. He really brought dubstep dubstep into the fore. Dead Mouse also was big, big for uh, electronic music. Daft Punk hmm. also. Um, yes. But it's been cool to see that. Um, and it's also another another way where um, like anybody can make that kind of music uh, without having to have a real drum set <laughs> or like you know all the things that used to go into r- recording music. Um, yeah. So it's dope. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are there other things you wanted to bring up? It could be related to things we've talked about or mm. anything else um, oh. on the pod. Let's see. Well, I had meant to mention that my activism is kind of like about breaking down institutions. Uh, okay. And I decided maybe this week that it relates to three different institutions. They're kind of on all the stages of life. Okay. Breaking down school institutions, mm-hmm. breaking down prisons where we keep, you know, adults and then also like nursing homes and you know addressing addressing nursing homes and where we're warehousing our elderly so wow part of my you know in addition to what i've done with self-directed education i've been meeting with some friends talking about um learning more about funerals and elder care and you know kind of bringing some of that back to families and um getting some information to people about other options outside of institutions when it comes to you know, the end of your life as well. Wow. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's very personal. And I was going to go, I had a whole bunch of plans for 2020, Mm. but I got back to the drawing board on a lot of them. So we'll have to see where, where I end up. Right. Because of COVID? Or, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I like to throw events. So I was going to do an yes. event. Uh, I was going to do some benefit events. I was going to do some educational ar- events around these subjects that I'm passionate about. And so now I'm trying to figure out whether I can do these in a digital space or, mm. um, you know, just so table different. them for a little while. So different and yeah. not the same. <laughs> yeah. But I do really like the, ex- the access. Oh, And I that's hope amazing. that it stays. Of course. Like, I, ho- I would like it to see a digital attendance option always from now on because it really gives me the ability to show up. I mean, as a parent, and I, you know, my mother's disabled, she can't go places. You know, if we really want to equalize yeah. things, having digital tickets is amazing. So I hope that that's something good that comes from the pandemic in the long term. Totally. I think yeah. that's great. That's all. Well, that's great. Um, <laughs> and before I let you off the hook, well, I have the, my final question I always ask people, but I also just want to say that um, if people are interested in self-directed education, you seem like somebody who'd be open to answering questions. I am. I'm, be, and definitely. How can people contact you? You can find Eugene Flying Squads on Facebook and cool. message me through there. I'm the only one. There's also a Flying Squads in New York City and PDX and upcoming in Seattle as well. So Okay. Any, you don't want to put your email address or anything sure. out there? Brooklyn K Wetzel at, at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Tom. Well, um, the, the show's called less stupid and I know it's an offensive question, but sometimes I'm offensive. What's one way we could all be a little less stupid. <laughs> oh, that you're asking me this. I'm asking you. Mm. Let go of control. Wow. That's my answer for today. <laughs> Beautiful. I might give you a different answer tomorrow. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. I don't even need to ask you anything further. I like the open-endedness of that. Okay. Um, and I'm a believer in well, uh, spiritual faith, so I, I would say let go and let God. But that's me. <laughs> thank, thank you, you Brooklyn. Thank you, and Thomas. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Bye.